Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, it's a great honour to be here this evening. Thank you very much. I wonder if you turn in the Bibles in front of you or to the uh, bits of paper you've got to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So in the Bibles, that's page 1160. And it's there on the, uh, on the flyers if you've got one. Just as you turn to that, I'm thrilled to be in Ballymena. Um, I've always hero-worshipped Willie John McBride, Sid Miller. And the third person I hero-worship is Lorraine McAllister. So those are the three people who I really think come out of here and are remarkable. Uh, Just as uh, we come to the Bible now, uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you very much for your word. Please speak powerfully from it. And Lord, as we come to the Bible now, we pray you would give us confidence in the gospel and confidence in the Lord Jesus. And may we know that the Bible is the power to change the world. Amen. Well, it is wonderful to be here, and I just want to try and uh, uh, address this issue of how do we explain the explosion of a million Christians in Cuba, of up to three million, perhaps, in Iran, but certainly hundreds of thousands who've been affected, certainly with Christianity Explored, where we're immensely privileged to know that there are thousands of copies of Christianity Explored in both countries. We know it's being led. All it is is just looking at Jesus in Mark's gospel, but it's just wonderful for us to know that with open doors that is happening. We're thrilled about that. Well, where's the power? How has it happened? Well, I wonder if you could just look at this passage we've got in front of us here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to read through it. And then if in pairs, could you just answer this question for me? Who's at work in the work of evangelism? So just in pairs if you do that, and then I'll pick a pair to tell me the answer to the question from the congregation here. And I find that fear is a great motivator. So I assure you... The fat Anglican at the front will pick somebody, I assure you, just to say I am one of four converted Anglicans in the world. There's me, there's someone in Bognoregia, someone in Malaysia, and a fourth one in New Zealand. But I am converted, and we're going to work tonight. So let's have a look at this together. I'm going to read through, just in pairs. Now, it may be that you don't want to do this stuff in pairs, so you can turn to the person next to you and say, I don't like speaking, I'm not going to talk to you, so that'll be okay, you're on your own. But then... Let's have a crack at this together. So here's the question again. If you got it, ladies and gentlemen, who's at work in the work of evangelism? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. Let me read through. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, isn't that an amazing title for the devil? For he blinds people to just see this world. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ." Great. You've got a minute. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Have you got Bibles on the front row there? You haven't. Can someone give them a Bible? Then I can pick you. Off we go. Off we go. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Just in pairs, if we can dig that out, that'd be great. 
Oh, they've got one on the front row. The choir, have the choir got one? Yep. Well, you better find one, because I'm coming for you. 30 seconds more. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Okay, let's go. Um, the gentleman in the red down there. Do, uh, brother, what do you think? Who do you think's at work in the work of... I can't believe I've picked you. Anyway, no, it's you, brother. It's a great shirt. We've now got this relationship. What do you reckon it is, bro? Who's at work? Any idea? God is at work. Which verse? Verse one, absolutely. In God's mercy, he's at work. What is the work that he does? Can anyone give me a verse? What work does he do? Anyone got an idea? What does the lady next to you think? What does she think? Anyone else? Who's got an idea? Now, don't leave the fat Anglican strand at the front. Which, which verse tells me what God does in evangelism? He is at work. Which verse tells me what he does? Verse 6. Let's have a look, everybody. Verse 6. Absolute crunch verse. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Where does it say, let there be light? Where's that from in the Bible? Genesis 1. So the God who in Genesis 1 made light shine out of darkness, created the sun, created the world... He takes the same power that made the world, that created the sun, that created light, and he takes the same power, and what does he do with it? Do you see verse 6? He shines it into our hearts, so he doesn't create the world this time, he recreates our hearts as he does a miracle, and he shines that light into our hearts and gives us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, he gets us to see that Jesus is God. And it's a miracle. How is it that a man has a dream, watches satellite TV in the middle of Iran and comes to faith? What's happened there? God has done a miracle. That's how you explain it. How do you explain a million Christians in Cuba? God has done a miracle, despite the authorities' best efforts to stop it. How do you explain what happens when a woman on a bus, an old lady gets a non-Christian next to her to read something from the Sermon on the Mount and people get converted. How do you explain it? Well, God takes the power that made the world, he shines it into my heart, and he gets me to see that Jesus is God. So that's what God does. Now, as we look down, what do we do? Who else is at work in evangelism? Because there is something to be done. There's a tiny bit that human beings contribute. Can anyone tell me what verse that is? Ma'am, in the lovely coloured shirt there behind the man in red... What, 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 what do you think? Over there, any ideas? Certainly we're blinded. The God of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers. That's certainly true. Who, what, what, what defines what I'm to do in evangelism? What defines it? Which, which, which verse tells me what we're to be doing? Verse 5. Can we see verse 5, everyone? For we do not preach ourselves, always my temptation to preach me. No, don't do that, Rico. What do you do? Verse 5. We don't preach ourselves, and the word for preach, by the way, is herald, so it's not just the man from the front, it's the woman on the bus. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So we preach Christ, and as we do that, God opens blind eyes, and that is the methodology for evangelism. What I do is I keep speaking of Jesus, but as I do that, God does the miracle right across Iran. God does the miracle right across Cuba. 
God does the miracle. I've heard of people in Ballymena being converted as they've gone through Mark's gospel. God does the miracle and he opens blind eyes. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're someone and you're not a Christian believer. Can I say to you, thank you for coming. You keep hearing the Bible. And as you do that, you keep hearing it. Would you say, Lord, please open my eyes. But I'll keep hearing from the front in a small group. I'll keep talking to people. As you do that, can I tell you, God will open your blind eyes. And it's amazing when you see it happen. I remember on a Christianity Explored course years ago, there was a girl called Davina on my table, and she did seem in absolutely brutal mood each week. I mean, I didn't know what she was doing there. So week one, Christians are hypocrites. Week two, three, and four, what about suffering? Week five, you can't trust the Bible. Week six, science. Anyway, we got to week seven, and I said at the start of the evening, are there any questions? And she said, well, not so much a question, but a statement. And I thought, you know, I smiled, my little sort of pleasant Christian grin, but I sort of thought, oh, great, we're on statements now. And she said, last week, as I went home on the Bakerloo line, between Embankment and Waterloo, I realized Jesus was God. And we all looked at each other and said, what? She said, no, no, he's amazing. He's amazing. Can you believe it? God had done a miracle on the Bakerloo line. Unbelievable! I wait for something to happen to me now when I'm on it between Embankment and Waterloo. Nothing does. As you can see, I have another Mars bar. Nothing happens. He'd done a miracle. He'd opened her blind eyes to who Jesus was. She said, he's amazing. I've had the most amazing week with him. He'd done that miracle. So that's how, that's how it works. We preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. Now, just a second question as we look down, just before we move on. Okay, How are we to preach Christ? In the passage, there are at least three or four applications. See if you can dig them out, just in pairs, and I'll try and pick someone from the gallery this time. Three or four applications of how we're to preach Christ. How are we to do it? What advice are we given on how we're to speak of Jesus? Just flick through the passage. Question one, who's at work in the work of evangelism? Question two, okay, we're to preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. How are we to do it? It's a wonderful hush, and I think it's produced by fear. It's lovely. <laughs> right, how are we to do it? Any ideas? The gentleman at the back there by the pillar in the green shirt with a nice haircut. There you are, sir. What are you, how are we to preach Christ? Any ideas, brother? Verse two, yup, how do we do it? You're quite right. Someone wipe the perspiration. He's right. He's fine. How are we to do it, everyone? We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. So, brothers and sisters, we tell people straight. We tell them straight. There's a false gospel in the land so often. Oh, Lord, my life is empty. Fill me. No, that's not the gospel. It's wonderful that we're filled, but it's not the gospel. The real gospel is, oh, Lord, I'm an offense to you. Rescue me. We teach straight. We teach about God's wrath. God settled, controlled, personal hostility to evil. So on Christianity Explored, from weeks two to seven, we tell people, you're not good people going to heaven, you're sinners going to hell. And as we tell them that, as we put that in place, as Billy Graham says, it's not getting people lost, um, saved that's the issue, it's getting them lost. They see their sin, they come to the Lord Jesus. So we tell them straight, whatever the culture says. We talk of repentance. What is repentance? Well, it means that I'm for what Jesus is for. I'm against what he's against. I trust him to lead me. He died for me. So I trust him. On the day away, we count the cost. What will it mean? What do we have to change? Nothing the cost here compared to our brothers in Iran, to our brothers and sisters in Cuba, but there's a cost. 
And we teach it. We just actually go through Mark's gospel and do that. Uh, What else have we got here? Just verse 6 as we look down. It means, of course, if God does the miracle and shines light out of darkness, the results belong to Christ. They're not my results. You see, I finish a mission. What does everyone ask me at the end of a mission? If I go and do a little mission in 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 a local church, what do they ask me at the end? What's the one question I get asked? How many were converted? Verse 5, what should you ask me in verse 5? What should you ask me in verse 5? Rico, did you preach Christ? Now, I'm so insecure as an evangelist. If you ask me about the numbers, do you know what I'll do? I'll lie. I'll lie about the numbers. So don't ask me about the numbers. Please ask me, Rico, were you faithful to Christ? Did you preach Christ? And then lastly, as we look down here, do you see the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers? Verse 6, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. The third application here is, brothers and sisters, we must pray. We must pray that God will open blind eyes. Now, can I just tell you from my life, if you see me up after 11 o'clock, you'll know I've decided not to pray the next day. Because if I don't get to bed by 11, I don't pray the next day. Because if I don't pray in the morning, I don't pray. I've just found over the last 20 years, that's the issue. So if you see me up after 11, you need to say, oh, Rico, I see you've decided not to pray tomorrow. How are your prayers going? What's my prayer? My next door neighbor, Lord John, please open his eyes. Please, Lord, don't allow Satan to put cataracts on his eyes. Open his eyes and help me, Lord, to say something of Jesus. Because the methodology here is we preach Christ, we pray that God opens blind eyes. Let's just get that in place, can we? Can the gallery please say we preach Christ? Can downstairs respond, God opens blind eyes? Because that's the methodology. Just to say, if you decide you're not going to say it, I'll get you to do it on your own. Okay? (laughs) Are we ready? In the gallery. We preach Christ. Downstairs, God opens blind eyes. Right, let's go again. I'm not leading very well. And again. Are we ready? And we... You know, it was pathetic. Okay, and again. Exactly. Now, how do we preach Christ? Let's turn, please, to Mark's Gospel if you've got a Bible, or would you turn inside if you've got a flyer to Mark 1, verse 1? How am I to preach Christ? That's the question. Because what's wonderful about Mark's Gospel is that you can preach Christ with three words. You can go right through Mark's gospel with three words. It's so simple. Let me give you a quote from a woman at a training day, an old lady at a training day on Christianity Explored. She said this in Cuba last year, 2012. I came here this morning fearful, thinking that understanding and then leading Christianity Explored would be too hard. But after the training, I can see how simple it is. I can now use it. Why? Because it's so utterly simple. It's just three words, identity, mission, call. Well, let's have a look at Mark 1, verse 1. And can we flick up the picture, please, of the lady? Flick her up. And if you can open up, you'll see the uh, picture there. Now, if you look at this lady here, can everyone see? If you've got the flyer, you'll have it in front of you there. Can you see that there are two faces in the picture? Can everyone see that? There's a young lady and an old lady. Can everyone get it? Just in pairs, make sure you've all got it. Okay. Everyone got the young woman and the old woman in the picture? Everyone got it? Trust me, I'm an Anglican. They're two faces. On we go. Now, can we look down? Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That tells me, in Mark 1, verse 1, that Jesus 
has two faces in Mark's gospel. He's not just a man, he's God. But here's the fourth word you need to teach Christianity Explored. The disciples are blind. That's the drama in Mark's gospel. They can't see who Jesus is. They're with him, but they can only see his human face, not his divine face. And you can be with someone and not recognize who they are and therefore not relate to them properly. Three or four years ago, I was at a restaurant in London for lunch, and I was meeting a father and son. It was a posh restaurant, so I thought, I'll never come back, so I had a good look round. But I, um, I met them at five to one. And, uh, well, they were, I was meeting them at one. It was five to one. And I got there, and I'd buried f- four members of the family. I'd buried both grandparents, and I'd done the funeral of the father's wife, who the son's mother, and a sister called Danette. I'd done four funerals in the family in the previous three years. So I'm standing there as a pastor thinking, what do I say to these guys? And as I stood there on some back stairs, a bloke came and stood opposite me, and he did look familiar. And he sort of nodded at me, expecting me to say something, but I didn't say anything back. The English never do since we lost the empire. So I just sort of stood there, and we sort of nodded at each other. And at one o'clock, someone came round the corner and said, ah, William, there you are. We're, We're in the back dining room. It was Prince William. And I'd had five minutes with him when he had nothing better to do than speak to me. And because I hadn't recognized him, I hadn't taken the opportunity. Great evangelist, don't you reckon? Marvelous. And, you know, as he went off, he sort of raised his eyebrows like, you idiot. You know, you had five minutes. Do you know, he's much bigger than you think he is. He's a big guy. I could have taken him, but he's a big guy. Anyway, what I'm saying is, in Mark's gospel... They look at Jesus, but they don't recognize him. I was with William, but I didn't see he was my future king. And the question in Mark's gospel as you go through is, can you see who he is? And you get layer upon layer of evidence to see if you can. If you've got Bibles, let's turn to Mark chapter 4 and see how that works. So the question is, can you see his identity? That's the first big word that unlocks Mark's gospel. Can you see what it is? Identity. Mark 4 verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, lilacs, came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. You see, he is a man. He's exhausted after this ministry in the first four chapters. He's asleep in a, in a storm, but if you... If you know the tiredness of ministry or having young children, you know that tiredness of business when it's just absolutely full on. Jesus is exhausted. He's asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, here's the question. What do you reckon you'd score in the Galilee lifeboat safety exams if to the question, what do you do in a life-threatening storm? You wrote down, wake up the teacher. I mean, my geography teacher at school was called Mr. Howard. He was a nice guy. I wouldn't have bothered waking him in a life-threatening storm. (laughs) The question is, is he more than a teacher? That's the question. Well, let's look down and see what happens. We preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. What do we learn of Jesus here? Is he more than a teacher? Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Can I tell you, I can't even do that with my bath water. Do you ever do that in the bath, sluice up and down, go quiet, be still? Probably not. You're probably too mature to do that. I do that in the bath sometimes. (laughs) Jesus flattens the storm. Verse 40, he then said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
What are they afraid of now? It's not the storm. It's as flat as a mill pond. My niece, she's four. Lena Joy, she could swim ashore in this. No, Jesus has had authority over the cause of the storm, the wind, and the result of the storm, the waves. And what are the disciples? Terrified. Verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But you know, they can't, they still can't see who he is. He's done this, but they can still only see his human face. I was reading this one-to-one with a West Indian guy of six foot four, not a Christian. He only came to All Souls because his sister told him to come. We met up to look at the Bible together. He said, look, I just need a spiritual dimension to my life. That's why I've come. My sister says I need it. I guess it's okay. We read this through, not a Christian guy. And at the end of it, he said, oh, Rico, the disciples are so stupid, aren't they? I said, yeah, why are they stupid? He said, well, they can't see who Jesus is. Can you see who he is? Can you see he's not just a man, he's God? And as he said that, what did I know was happening? As he said that, I know that God is opening his eyes. He then said to me, Rico, it's interesting. I came to All Souls, to your church, just to get a spiritual dimension. But I'm realizing that the whole world belongs to Jesus, doesn't it? It's a bit scary. What's God doing? He's opening his eyes. What do I do? I keep preaching Christ. I just trust the Bible to do its work. I say, let's look at the next passage. Let's have a look. Mark chapter 5, down we go, verse 21. Let's look at, we preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. Let's have a look. Here, Cuba, Iran, it's the same methodology. God takes the power that made the world. We just preach Christ. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. Now, what's going on here? What a man of standing in the community, flat on his face before Jesus. Why is he doing it? Well, now we know. Let's have a look. Verse 25. Verse 23, I mean. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. The worst job I've done as a pastor is bury people's children. Worst job. It's a terrible job to do. There was a little boy called Max who died in a cot death. His parents were Chris and Sonia when I first got ordained. And I took his funeral with his coffin in front of me. And I'd never seen grief like it, his parents. They were wailing. And the agony of death is it severs loving relationships. And this little girl, she's lying there. And she's always counted on her dad to deliver. He's always looked after her. So she's lying there and she says, Daddy, I'm very sick. And he says, I know, darling. She says, no, daddy, I don't think you realize I'm very sick. And he is desperate with grief. So he hurls himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Is he just a Galilean carpenter? If he's just a carpenter, he can say, oh, Mr. Jairus, don't you worry. I've got some lovely mahogany wood in my woodshed. Why don't you come with me? She'll look lovely in her coffin in the wood. But is he more than a carpenter? What's his real face? Is he, Mark 1, verse 1, the Son of God? Over the page, verse 35. Let's have a look together. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Pretty brutal, huh? Don't bother him. Verse 36. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, can I say you've got to be pretty sure of your guns to say that? I used to be a youth worker in the inner city of Liverpool, and the club kids there used to say, don't write checks with your mouth, your body can't cash. This is a big check. 
don't be afraid, just believe. He better be more than a carpenter. Verse 37. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When he came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child's not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. And that is the ruthless, sarcastic laugh of the playground. Who do you think you are? She's dead. How dare you play with with the parents like this? Verse 40. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Now what are we being taught here? We're being taught that because Mark 1 verse 1, Jesus is the son of God, he's God's king in God's world. And when he confronts death, he does so as its master. So just as you and I can raise the sleeping, he can raise the dead. So the question is, will you put your hand into the hand of Jesus as you face death? Or will you face it alone? You see, Jesus lived and taught. He had a band of followers. He was tried in a Roman and Jewish court. He was sentenced to die. They strung him up on a cross. They put a spear through his side. They took him off the cross. They certified him as dead. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he was walking around again. And if he got through death himself, he can get me through. So will you trust Jesus with your death? And as we preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. As we teach these passages on Christianity Explored, as we simply go through Mark's gospel, God does the miracle and opens blind eyes as people go, I can't face death alone. I'll never cope with it. I must go to Jesus who rose from the dead. Well, let's close. Can you turn over to the back page, please? The back page as we close. Can you see the three words that just unpack Mark's gospel? The disciples are blind to three things, identity, mission, and call. I've got three highlighters here, yellow, orange, green. You can go through 99% of Mark's gospel and color it in, and, and, and it's about blindness to either who Jesus' is identity, why he came mission, what does it mean to follow him call. So with these three words, you unpack Mark's gospel. No wonder this woman in Cuba said... Well, I've come along to the training. It's so simple. I remember the first time I uh, was uh, uh, outlining this training back, I don't know, back in about 2000, 2001. Uh, Up until then, I'd talk about Mark's Gospel. I'd watch the screensaver go up on people's faces. And then as we were preparing the first DVDs, we saw that actually it was just this journey into identity mission call. I was up in Stirling doing some teaching on a bank holiday. And there were a group of ladies there come for the day and they weren't so much from the from the mother's union they were from the great great grandmother's union I mean they were there for the for the day and they were looking across but I mean they weren't young I assure you and I went through this and I said so you can teach Mark's gospel in four words blindness to identity mission call and I looked across to them when I'd finished speaking and I said do you think you can do that and one of them looked at me rather patronizingly and said well dear if it's three words I think we probably can It's so simple. Who is he? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? Identity. Just have a look down at verses 27 to 30 here. 
Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way. He asked them, who do people say I am? And these are the blind people. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. If you talk to a Muslim, what does he say about Jesus? With reverence, he says, he's a great prophet. The moment he says that, what do we know about him? He's blind. He can't see who Jesus is. He's more than a prophet, Jesus. But now Peter's eyes are opened. What about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Peter, and he gets it, he says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. At last, his eyes are open to identity. You raise the dead girl. You flatten the storm. You're the Christ. He sees it. Then mission, as we look down. Why did Jesus come? His mission. Was his death a waste or a rescue? You can see in this passage, someone's blind to why Jesus died. Have a look down. He then began to teach him, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, what's wrong with Peter, and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter can see who Jesus is, but he's blind to the cross. But if you're a Christian here today, you say this as you see Jesus go to the cross. You say, Lord Jesus... You must go to Jerusalem to die. Otherwise, I'll have to pay for my sin myself in hell. Lord Jesus, please go. Please go and pay in death and blood for me. Thank you, you've done that. It's not just a Galilean carpenter dying on the cross. He's dying for me, in my place, for my wrongdoing. What love. What love when I see the depravity of my heart. He died for me. Are your eyes open to it? Round the cross, everyone's blind to it. The religious authorities, the soldiers, the crowd, the thieves. One man can see the centurion, the culmination of Mark's gospel. He looks and sees Jesus naked on a cross and he says, you're the son of God. He sees his mission is a rescue, not a waste. What do you see as you see the cross? And then we close. The call of Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? Oh, this is so humbling. Because in Cuba... In Iran, they know. Are your eyes open to the call? Verse 34, as we look down. Then he called the crowd along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up his cross and follow him and follow me. You see, either you can obey the call or disobey it. There are lots of people who know who Jesus is. They know why he came and they give him one hour Sunday morning. And the rest of their life, they have for themselves. In fact, if you read Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, the man who was murdered by the Nazis in Flossenburg concentration camp in 1945, if you read this book, it's an exposition of Mark 8.34, take up your cross and follow me. And Bonhoeffer says, and I think this is the most important illustration, coming out of the 20th century. Bonhoeffer says, how did Hitler kill six million Jews? How did he do it? He didn't do it on his own. He says he did it with people who went to Lutheran and Catholic Sunday school. But they were taught, if you're really serious about Jesus, become a nun, a priest, a monk. Otherwise, give him an hour Sunday morning. And then when the persecution came, they didn't face the Nazis. They weren't prepared to die for their faith. 
It's an incredibly demanding, striking verse. If you want to follow him, the call is to come and die. But of course you'll do it because of verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. It's no suicide gesture for me to give everything to Jesus because he holds the future. It's utterly logical. He's the Son of God. He's risen from the dead. He holds the future. He gets my whole life. It's obvious. Brothers and sisters, it's so simple. Identity, mission, call. Who is he? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? As we preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. Let's pray. Well, a moment now. A moment now just to stop and to give thanks for the fact that if you are a Christian believer, it's because God has opened your blind eyes with the power that made the world. A moment now just to stop and be amazed at his mercy in using that power to cause you to see who Jesus is. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for the miracle you've done in our lives. We're staggered, Father, at the miracles you've done in Cuba, a million Christians, at the unnumbered numbers who you've opened the eyes of in Iran. Oh, Father, we're staggered. Father, we pray that you would give us this confidence in your word, in the Lord Jesus. Please, Father, help us to know that as we preach Christ, you will open blind eyes. And whenever we doubt that, may we know that you've done it for us. And if you've done it for us, you can do it for anyone. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.